Okay, while they get that figured out, I'm going to ask my wife to come up. She's going to read scripture, and it's from uh, Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 32. And we're going to mainly focus on Hebrews 12, 1 through 4, but we are going to read Hebrews chapter 11, uh, starting at verse 32, if you have your Bibles and want to follow along. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Okay, thank you for reading our scripture. So do we have the sound on now? Is it working? <laughs> okay. So I've entitled this message, Running the Christian Race. So we see the imagery here of, uh, of sports. And we do know that sports is a big part of our culture as a society. Uh, recently, Fort McMurray hosted the Arctic Games. And uh, as you know, I think it's the Super Bowl Sunday today, right? So sports is a big, a lot of people will be watching that. Maybe not so much in Canada, but certainly in the United States and other places around the world. We know that young people play sports in school, even the ones who don't like sports are forced to play sports in school as part of their education. And there's different clubs. I know that Pastor Dennis is involved in, his, in the school here in the community, coaching uh, volleyball and basketball. So it's in the schools, it's in different clubs as well. And many adults play sports recreationally. And then there's, of course, there's the professional teams and uh, we are, as you know, are getting close to the playoff time for hockey. And uh, hopefully Edmonton will get hockey fever again, like last year. Uh, 
uh, as the playoffs approach. I remember as a young boy, I always looked forward to winter because I could play hockey, right? Because I was a real hockey fanatic and I loved the winter season because I could play hockey. Now, not so much anymore. I haven't played hockey for a long time and so I don't <laughs> look forward to winter. But I do enjoy playing uh, any kind of racket sports like ping pong, things like that. And I like to play a lot of tennis and I've taken up pickleball recently, so I'm enjoying that. So I do enjoy, I do enjoy sports, watching sports and playing sports. And an important part of success in sports is to have a great coach. Now, actually, I'm, actually, I'm, almost, I'm all also a tennis instructor, a tennis coach. Now, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm a great coach. If I was a great coach, I might not be uh, around here at Edmonton. I'd probably be coaching, you know, Rogers Federer's kids or something like that. Uh, but, I, but I think I'm a good enough coach. But anyway, but if you were a coach, what kind of advice would you give to your athletes? Scripture uses some sports analogies. And in this passage, the author uses the imagery of running a race to describe the Christian life. This passage in Hebrews gives us some great advice that will help us to effectively run the race set before us. So we're going to consider this, this author our spiritual coach this morning and pay attention uh, to his advice. The first thing that we notice in this analogy is the preparation for the race of faith. And that is to recognize that we are not alone when we run this Christian race. We are not the first to run this race. The author has just finished relating the stories of men and women of faith in chapter 11 that we just read. And that was just part of the, uh, the whole chapter uh, 11. And we can learn a lot from these people who have gone before and run the race. For example, from Noah, we can learn patience. 120 years he spent building that ark. Abraham, we learned the lessons of faith, how he left his home and, and later at an, in an old age, he had a son and later was willing to sacrifice that son, believing that scripture says that God would raise him up from the dead. From Joseph, we learn to be faithful in the midst of suffering and injustice. And from others, we learn different lessons. But from all of them, we learn the lesson of endurance, persistence, not giving up. So as we consider these people of faith, it gives us encouragement and hope and inspiration. The imagery here is that of a stadium. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, one of the uh, climaxes of the Olympic Games, as you might know if you follow the Olympics, is on the last day they have the marathon, which is kind of like the, the, the one of the main events is the marathon run. And these runners, they begin in the Olympic Stadium and they do a lap or two and then they go out and they run their race and then they come back for the final lap. How energizing that must be to enter that stadium when you're on their very, very last bit of energy and all these people are cheering and, and uh, celebrating the fact that you made it there. And they're saying to you, don't give up, come on, don't quit, hang in there. You can do it, you're almost there. Now, in the audience, in this case, 
The audience are those who all have already finished their spiritual marathon race. And they are saying to us, hey, we did it. You can do it too. One commentator notes that this spiritual race is more like a relay race. And the baton has been passed on to us by those who have gone on before. And now they cheer us on. These cheerleaders are called witnesses and they witness to God's faithfulness and of the effectiveness of faith and that the race really is worth it. The Bible commentator by the name of Bruce notes this, the focus is not on them watching us, but rather the focus is that we are to be looking at them as our examples and inspiration. Because if they can do it, we can do it. Others have done it, so we can too. So what can we learn from these witnesses and from this author, our coach, that we can complete this marathon of the Christian life and finish well? Well, the first advice that this coach gives to us is that we are to lay aside everything that hinders us. The word there in the Greek is actually a weight, and maybe you recognize this from another translation. The word there is like a burden or a mass or a weight. Actually, in training for the Olympics in bygone days, and maybe even today, the runners would actually tie weights to their legs, like a picture in the, in the PowerPoint there. They tie weights to their legs to help strengthen them. And also, once those weights are gone, they feel so light that they could just, they're almost like flying. So the author is saying, lay aside the weights in order to run the race. The early Olympians, apparently, according to history, the very first uh, Olympics back in Greece, in order not to be hindered by any extra weight, what was their secret? What did they do? Anybody know? <laughs> they performed in the nude. No clothes. Didn't want to have anything slowing them down, so they performed in the nude. Can you imagine that? It certainly wouldn't work well in the Winter Olympics. <laughs> but as you notice, their clothes, if you ever look at Olympic athletes, their clothes are actually very streamlined, aren't they? It almost looks like they're not wearing anything in some of the, uh, in the sports. Anyways, the story is told of two men who are riding up a very steep hill on a tandem bike. You know, two people on the same bike, right? And especially the guy in the front, and he was just huffing and puffing and perspiring and just really, really, really working hard for all he was worth. And as they neared the top of the hill, the guy in the front said, wow, that was a tough climb. And the second man said, it certainly was. And if I hadn't kept the brake on, we would have slid down that hill backwards. <laughs> An unnecessary burden. The author tells us, get rid of the unnecessary weights and burdens that are slowing you down, that are hindering you. There are times when we need to throw off these certain things that hinder our forward motion. And there are many of them. And they're not necessarily sins, but they are obstacles that hinder. An Olympic athlete today who's trying to get to the Olympics or training for them is going to lay aside 
an unhealthy diet of chocolate and fatty foods and eat more tofu. Maybe they'll be here later to pick up the tofu. <laughs> they will also lay aside any bad habits of staying up too late or sleeping in too long. They're going to give up spending extra time with friends, maybe a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Hey, I don't have time for all my friends. And they're going to spend any extra time in training. As believers, we are in a serious race, a spiritual battle. And we all encounter weights and obstacles and difficulties that hinder and slow down our spiritual growth. For everyone, it is likely different. For some, it might be uh, riches or money or possessions. For others, it might be a hobby, maybe playing too much sports or watching too much sports or reading too much or perhaps entertainment or spending time on the computer, social media, video games. It could be relationships or, or working too hard or it could be apathy or, or busyness or habits such as procrastination or sleeping in. There was a time in my life when I was in high school that I was actually a TV addict. I would come home, lay my books down, and just watch TV all night. And obviously my grades suffered, my spiritual life suffered, putting all that junk into my head. Anything that distracts us from our spiritual journey and dulls our spiritual appetites and saps our spiritual strength can be a weight that we need to throw off. So as reflect upon this, what are some things in my own life? What are some things in your life that you need to change? Perhaps get rid of uh, completely or moderate or do less. And not because these things are bad in themselves, but rather in order to fulfill a higher purpose of running well and finishing well the race that is before us. As we approach the season of Easter, many faith traditions celebrate Lent. And many times people say, hey, I'm going to give up these things for, for Lent. And that might be something we might want to consider, what we might want to give up in order to focus more on our spiritual lives. Another thing that it says here in verse 1, it says, uh, we throw off all the weights that hinder us and the sin that so easily entangles or trips us up. That's a good word, entangles. It's a good word that describes what happens when we sin. Sin trips us up, and it is hard to make progress when we are on the ground. I remember several years ago, maybe you remember, there was this lady, Canadian Olympic uh, runner, hurdler actually, right, jumping over the hurdles. Her name was Felicia. And everyone expected her to win the gold medal because she had recently won several championships in the world circuit. And I remember watching and being excited. I'm going to watch Felicia. She's going to win gold for Canada. And you know what? Do you remember what happened? Maybe you don't remember. But first hurdle, the very first hurdle, she wiped out so much for her dreams of Olympic gold or any medal at all. Yes, we all have our areas of weakness that tend to trip us up. For some, it might be gossip or jealousy, perhaps pride or envy, perhaps substance abuse, pornography, lust, worry, maybe gambling, anger, lying, cheat, cheating, being, being greedy or gluttony. The reality is that sometimes 
As believers, we trip up. We fall down. We give in to sin and we stumble and we fall. We listen to Satan's lies. And Satan, as you know, has two tactics. The first is he, tells, he comes to us and says, oh, that's just a small little sin. It's just a little temptation. Come on, just a little bit of sin. You can do this. You know, it's not that serious. It's not that bad. And we, okay, and we agree with Satan. We believe the lie and we do that sin. And then Satan comes along with his second lie. Oh, what a terrible, big sin you just did. How could you do something so terrible? How do you expect God to forgive you for that after you did that terrible, terrible sin? You just may as well give up the Christian life. You may as well just call it quits. You ever heard those lies? I certainly have. But the reality is, is that we do stumble and fall. But when we fall, we need to get back up again and keep on going. Felicia, she ended up running other races after that. And we need to accept God's mercy and grace and the promise of God's forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a great promise. Our coach here in scripture, the witnesses that have gone before, and the Holy Spirit within us encourages us to keep on going even when we fall, even when we fail, to get back up, to keep on running. If you recall these people in, in Hebrews chapter 11, this big list of all these saints that have gone on before, you know what? They weren't perfect. They fell. They stumbled. They gave in to sin. Look at Samson. Look at Abraham. He doubted. He told everyone that Sarah was his sister rather than his wife. Jacob, David, all these saints in Scripture also fell, but yet they were able to get back up. Running with endurance this race means consistently making the right choices along the pathway of righteousness so that when temptations comes, we have the habit of making right choice, choices. An athlete consistently saying no to junk food until it becomes a habit. Maybe at the beginning is hard for them, but later on it's a little easier because it became a habit. And to remember, when we do slip, we fall, is to confess and ask and lean on God's grace and forgiveness to keep on going. What are some more instructions for our this wonderful race that we have. Yes, we have a race to run. And this Christian life, as you know, as a race, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a long distance. And some marathons, such as local small ones, are not that very popular and are not necessarily that important. But you know what? What is the most famous marathon that you can think of? What's the most famous marathon? The Boston Marathon, right? If you can make it to the Boston Marathon, you have arrived. That is a really, really, really important Boston Marathon. Anybody here run the Boston Marathon? Do you know of somebody? that I know a couple of people, actually, that have run the Boston Marathon. Good for them, right? But you know what? The most important race is not even the Boston Marathon. It's our own spiritual lives. It's our marathon that we are running as believers. This is the extremely important race that we need to take very seriously. And because as we know, this race is a matter of life and death, as well as 
our eternal destiny. And as we know, it's a struggle. It's a battle. It is not easy. There's a quote here by John Piper in one of his books that he's a pastor and an author. And he says this, I'll just read it here. Hopefully you can follow on the, on the PowerPoint. The last 200 years has seen an almost incredible devaluation of the fight for joy. We have moved 100 miles from Pilgrim's Progress, where the main character named Christian labors and struggles and fights all his life for the joy that was set before him in the celestial city. Oh, how different is the biblical view of the Christian life than the one prevalent in the Western church. It is an earnest warfare from beginning to end, and the war is to defend and to strengthen the fruit-bearing fields of joy in God. As we know, this marathon race is not easy. So we are instructed and challenged to run with perseverance. It is not how we begin the race that counts, but how we finish the race. Finishing well is going to take sustained effort and great determination. I have lots of admiration and respect for long distance runners. Anybody long, done marathons? You've run a long time? Some people, yeah, some people. It's tough work, right? I, I, would, I would not want to do it. I've never run a marathon. I don't have any desire <laughs> ever to run a marathon. It just takes too much uh, physical strength and mental toughness and endurance. And I can think of a good example, though, of Terry Fox. What an inspiration. What a runner. To do that every day, you know, even, even when he was training, even before, he, his leg actually bothered him, that stump, right? It would often chafe and bleed, and he would have injuries. And even when he did this marathon, he, it was often bleeding. It was not pleasant. Talk about endurance, right, from, from Terry Fox. And you know what? He ran not just one marathon. He ran a marathon a day. <laughs> Can you imagine that? The determination and the, and the strength and the mental toughness to do that? Wow, what a great athlete he was. What great perseverance that he had. And I am told by marathon runners that there's a, a critical, critical time in a marathon. It's at the halfway point when you suddenly realize that you still have as far to go as you've gone <laughs> and uh, you're very tired. Runners call it hitting the wall. You've come to the end of your endurance and you're not sure you can put one foot in front of another anymore. Hitting the wall can happen in the Christian life too. Perhaps you've been a believer for a long time and you fought many battles, but you're not sure there is enough energy left to make it to the end. And the temptation is to quit. And we know people who have decided to quit, who have left the church and, and left the faith. They have started well, but for various reasons, they have given up. They have abandoned the race. So we need to look at the end of verse 3 here. It says, So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Have you ever felt like giving up on your faith at one point in your life? There are times when I felt like that. Times when I've given into temptation and fallen into sin again. When there were unanswered prayers when I've experienced suffering or seen suffering in the lives of others. And I think sometimes, and I question, is it really worth it? 
we must confess that life in general and the Christian life in particular is a difficult marathon. It's a hard race and it's natural that we will get weary and discouraged. And that's why this author is saying, hey, don't give up. Our coach here is saying, don't give in. Don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. He's saying it because he knows it happens. It's happened to you. It's probably will happen to you possibly in the future. So he encourages us to persevere, to endure, to not give up. A good illustration of this, uh, 50 years ago last year, remember in the 1972 Canada-Russia hockey series, Canada was down two games. They had to win the last two games. In the final game, they were down two goals in the third period. And then they scored three goals. And Paul Henderson, as you know, if you're a good Canadian, you know this, right? <laughs> Who scored the winning goal. They came back. They didn't give up. They didn't, ah, oh, it's all right. We, you know, we're just going to lose here. No, they fought back. It's not how you start, but how you finish. And to finish, it's always good to keep our eyes fixed on the goal. We need to look to Jesus. This is the other point that the authors make. He says here in verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we have a great inspiration. And later on, we're going to sing that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And as we do, all the things of this world grow strangely dim. Jesus is our pace setter in the Christian marathon. He is our inspiration as the one who has gone before and completed the race with great victory. He is our great example and role model. And we need role models, don't we? Our grandson right now, he really looks up to, as you can imagine, Connor McDavid, right? He's just starting to play uh, skating now. And he's all excited when he wants to play. He says, I'm going to be Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl. It's fun to play with him like that, right? Sometimes he says he wants to be Calgary Flames, but I don't know where he gets that from. But uh, <laughs> he wants to be Connor McDavid. That's his hero, right? And Jesus, he is our spiritual hero and inspiration. And this is because he has been where we are. He can identify with us and we can identify with him. He has overcome all the obstacles. In Hebrews 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. The author goes on to talk about Jesus being the author and the perfecter of our faith. I'll just read it again. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and you lose heart. The writer describes Jesus as the author and perfecter, the completer of our faith. It's the idea that he's our champion. He's our leader, our forerunner. He is the one who has uh, our initiator and, and completed our faith. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, God, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it. We begin our faith with Jesus, and he helps us so that we can end 
and complete our faith with Jesus. The lesson that we learn from our hero Jesus is that of endurance. It says here, he endured the suffering of the cross. Imagine that, the suffering of the cross. And what was the secret for him to endure? It says here, it was for the joy set before him. Long distance runners undergo grueling training sessions that are very hard on their bodies. They experience physical pain and suffering. Their lungs are bursting, their legs are aching, they feel like jello and their muscles tremble and shake. And they do all of this because they want to win. They want that medal, they want to stand on that podium, they want to hear the anthem of their country. They want to be able to uh, celebrate that victory. So for them, it's short-term pain for long-term gain. The future joy motivated Jesus was the glory that he was expecting. The future joy motivated Jesus to endure this suffering, the great suffering and the shame of the cross. It says he despised and discorned the shame. The suffering seemed as nothing in comparison to the war reward which is described as sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. This is a position of great honor and glory as described in Philippians chapter 2 that reads this. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Also in John chapter 17, Jesus says this, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with your glory. I had with you before the world began. It was the joy of the future glory that sustained Jesus in suffering and allowed him to endure to the end. A quote here by, another quote by John Piper. The key to endurance in the cause of self-sacrificing love is not heroic willpower, but deep, unshakable confidence that the joy we have tasted in fellowship with Christ will not disappoint us in death. Sacrifices in the path of love were sustained in the New Testament, not by willpower, but by joyful hope. In Hebrews 10, verse 34, you sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Some modern, more modern day examples of this were our stories you can read in these two books, Tortured, for His Faith was a book I read, I remember, in, as, a, as, a, as a teenager, and it had a really strong impact on my life, that somebody would be so committed to Christ as to suffer. And then also Richard Wormbrandt, Tortured for Christ, another very uh, interesting book of people who were willing to suffer for the joy that was set before him. So what motivates us and causes us to endure despite the sufferings and trials that we encounter? It is the joy that we are promised. As Paul says in Romans 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
What a great promise. When we go through difficulties and trials and persecutions, we are to look beyond the difficulties to the God's promised rewards. One day we will gather around the throne and praise God together with other believers and enjoy God forever. A key truth and secret to victory over sin that entangles us is to focus on the joy and pleasures that are in God. The power of sin is the promise of deceitful desires which don't ultimately satisfy. Piper says this, nothing, nothing in this world can suppress, surpass in value and depth and height and durability the pleasure that God promises. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, it says, in your presence, it's God's presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And Psalm 4, verse 7, you have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. As we know, God is the source of all that is good and of all pleasures and joy. Our fleshly nature and sin deceive us into running after selfish and often sinful ways of satisfying our needs and desires. But the truth as mentioned in the above verses is that, God, is that the greatest pleasures and joys are found in God and in following his path of righteousness that leads to ultimate joy in the eternal presence of God. It's not that our passions and our desires for pleasures and joy are wrong, but they are misdirected. They can be misdirected. God's desire for our lives is that we find joy and satisfaction in him and in his word in his will and his creation. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The chief purpose of mankind is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. In summary, let us review the advice from our coach, the author of this book, this passage in Hebrews. What are some things that we should remember in this, uh, do in this race? this marathon of the Christian life. Well, the first thing is to remember those who have gone on before and be inspired and encouraged by them. If they completed the race, we can as well. Secondly, we need to throw, us, throw off and throw aside the weights and the sins that hold us back and trip us up. We need to be able to run with endurance and perseverance. Don't give up. And we need to fix our eyes in Jesus, who is our hero and our inspiration, to persevere in the midst of suffering. And last, we need to focus on the joy that God promises. Let's take a moment of silent prayer. Father God, we thank you for the truths in your word. We pray that you would make them in real in our lives in the days and months and years ahead to be able to run the race as you would have us to. Thank you that you are present with us and you are our source and our inspiration and our strength for we need your help. Help us this week to run well. In Jesus' name, amen.